We're beginning a new focus, a new series for the next few weeks titled Family Matters, and we're going to be looking at the family. We'll look at marriage, singles, youth, children, but today we're going to begin by looking at marriage. The fact is marriage in America is on the decline today. There is a sense in which marriage is dying in America today. In 1960, 68% of all people in their 20s were married. In 2008, that had declined to 26%. In 1960, 72% of all adults were married. In 2008, 52% of all adults were married. I think you probably would agree with me that marriage is important and a biblical marriage is intended to impact life in its totality. For instance, in the Bible, as it describes marriage to us, as we understand marriage scripturally, there is an emotional component to it. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So we have an emotional need in our lives. The Bible says that is met in the marriage relationship. There is a social component. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. So there is a social need that man has that is addressed in the marriage relationship. There is a physical component. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 3, let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now there Paul is addressing the sexual need we have and the sexual responsibility we have to each other as husband and wife. There is also a spiritual component to marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, it is God's intention that your marriage be a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. When people look at your marriage, it is a reminder to them, it is a picture to them of Christ's love for the church and the love of the church for Christ. We hear a lot today, and I suppose it's one of the issues we face, that 50% of all marriages ends in divorce. That actually is not a good figure. In fact, when there is a committed Christian marriage, it is 35% less likely to divorce. I want us to focus on marriage today, so take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. We looked at this passage recently but our focus is going to be different today. Genesis chapter 24, verse number 1. 
Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. I think you would probably agree with me that choosing a mate is a serious responsibility and it should be a thoughtful decision. There was a television program on some years ago I was watching. It was titled The Substitute Wife. The setting was in the frontier days. I don't know if you saw it, but in the show, the wife was ill, she was dying, and so it became her mission that she was going to find a perfect wife, a suitable wife for her, her husband after she had died. Well, I watched that program with Linda and I said, you know, that is a thoughtful wife. And she said, don't expect that from me. <laughs> the selection of a mate needs to be serious and it needs to be thoughtful. And yet the truth is, oftentimes, we choose someone with whom we plan to spend our lives for frivolous reasons. Usually, maybe not usually, but oftentimes it is based on the way the other person looks. Adam and God were having a conversation as they walked through the garden one day, and God said to Adam, Adam, how do you like Eve? He said, oh, Lord, she is absolutely wonderful. I really, I really like her a lot, and she is just beautiful. I can't take my eyes off of her. He said, but God, I have a question. He said, all right, what is it, Adam? He said, you made her so beautiful, but really she doesn't seem to be that smart. Why did you make her that way? And God said, well... Adam, I, I made her beautiful so you would be attracted to her. Why did you make her not so smart? And God said, so she would be attracted to you. <laughs> Sometimes our choice of a spouse is based solely on the way the other person looks and a good example of that, of course, would be Samson. He chose his mate purely on her looks. The Bible says in Judges chapter 14, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Get her for me, for she looks good to me. When Samson was ready to pick a wife, someone with whom he was to spend his life, it was based on that one thing, get her for me because she looks good to me. It was based solely on the way she looked. David was attracted to Bathsheba because of her beauty. 2 Samuel eleven two. 2, from the roof David saw a woman bathing 
And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So the attraction for David to Bathsheba was the fact she was a beautiful woman. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel rather than Leah because Rachel was more beautiful than her sister Leah. Isn't it true that oftentimes when we are selecting our mates that we select based on the way they look? I told my grandsons, I've, I've told all of them, I said, look, you need to find a godly girl when you get married. You need to find someone who loves the Lord. And it doesn't hurt if she's pretty. There's not anything sinful about that. And so you can incorporate the two. So there are some who choose their spouse based on their appearance, the way that they look. There are some who choose their spouse because they are able to advance the desires that they have. For instance, Ahab was the king of Israel. He married, Bathsheba, uh, he married Jezebel because her father was the king of the Sidonians. And he knew that by marrying her, it was going to enhance his kingdom. We probably all would say that when someone gets married, it should be a thoughtful process. But oftentimes it is not. At least in this passage of Scripture, there was thought given to it. Look at verse number 3. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites whom I live, but you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. You see, Abraham had given some thought, and that was common during that time that there were arranged marriages. And he said, I want you to find a wife for my son who is of the same religion. That was a part of his consideration. I want you to find someone who is of the same religion and someone who is from a similar background. I know that that's not tantamount to a marriage succeeding, but I do believe that it is helpful. Linda and I both grew up in Iowa Park, Texas, a small town. We grew up in the same town. And because we have a similar background, we understand each other better as a result of it. It has been helpful to us. But today, when it comes to marriage, we largely reject the idea of proper matching. And the reason for that, I think, is because we believe that love overcomes all obstacles. You know, if I love somebody, it really doesn't make any difference. All of this matching stuff is not necessary. It is not important because we love each other and love will overcome all obstacles. Dr. Bernard Harnick, a noted Swiss physician and counselor, concluded that proper matching is still important. He lists some areas in which it's important. He said, it is important that you are socially compatible. When you marry someone, it is important to be socially compatible. David and Vera Mace wrote, without proper matching, marriage can succeed, but the amount of adjustment demanded is greatly increased. I've seen that, so have many of you. You see two people who socially are not compatible, and that becomes an issue later on in their marriage relationship. Spiritual compatibility is important as well. 
Now, you young people who are not married yet but plan to be, if you marry someone outside your faith, there are going to be more in-law problems. It's just the way that it is. If you marry someone outside your faith, there are more conflicts as a result of in-laws. When children comes, it is complicated even further. Albert Gordon wrote, the statistical evidence incorporated in the study makes it clear that the odds do not favor intermarriages in that almost two to four times as many intermarriages as intramarriages end in divorce, separation, or annulment. So, as we look at marriage today, I, want, I wanted to begin with the importance of selecting a mate. It, it needs to be a thoughtful process, not just an appeal because there is attractiveness, not just because that person might advance your desire, but there needs to be thought that is given to it, prayer that is given to it. Now then, after the wedding, let's say that you find that person, you get married, now then there's the marriage, after the wedding. I oftentimes say to people that you walk down the aisle with one person, you walk out of the church with someone else. I think that you see that in this passage of Scripture. In chapter 24 of Genesis, they were married, and in chapter 27, problems began to come. Why? What happened? Why were there problems? It seems that they started well. What was the problem? Well, probably they began to neglect the marriage. That would be my assumption. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, and you who are married know this to be true, after you have been married for a while, you settle into the routine. It is just routine. And then there is the tendency to begin to neglect the relationship. And the commitment to the relationship begins to wane because your focus is elsewhere. I, I would imagine here that Isaac was out taking care of the cattle and Rebecca was taking care of the children. And so after a while, that commitment to the relationship began to wane. Now let me ask you a question, you who are married. Is your commitment as great as it was at one time? You see... We are very committed to getting married. But then after we are married, we are not so committed to the marriage. Would that be right? We are committed to marrying someone. But then after that is done, we're not as committed to making the marriage what it should be. There's a story of a man, he and his wife were not getting along that well. It was beginning to concern him some, and so there was a guy at work, and he and his wife seemed to get along wonderfully. Just They were just always in love and, and chatted with each other, laughed together and did all those things. So one day the guy who not getting along that well with his wife said, you know, I've watched you and your wife and... What, what is the secret to it? What, what do you do? And he said, well, he said, occasionally I will send flowers to her for no specific reason. I just send her flowers. He said, but one thing I do every day. And he said, and I think this is key. He said, when I go home from work, 
I walk in the door, I walk over to my wife, and I passionately kiss her. He said, I really think that that's probably it. Well, the guy said, I, and he thought to himself that he was going to try it. So when he got off work that day, he, he stopped on the way home and got some flowers. He went to the house and opened the door and walked in. His wife was there. He handed her the flowers. He grabbed her and passionately kissed her. She began to cry. He said, what on earth is wrong? How come you're crying? She said, this is the worst day of my life. What happened? She said, well, I got up this morning and I got Johnny down to the bus, you know, to bus corner and the bus picked him up and they took him to school. And about 10 o'clock said, I got a call from the school that he had broken his arm. I got around, I got down, I, I got him, I took him to the, to the hospital and they, they got his arm fixed and so forth. And so then whenever I got back home, the, the dishwasher had overflowed and water was everywhere and it took me about two hours to clean up the water and I called the plumber and waited on the plumber and the plumber finally got there. After I got that done, then I realized the dog was gone. So I, I've been two hours, I'm out in the neighborhood driving around looking for the dog and now you come home drunk. <laughs> you know, it is... It would not surprise, it would not surprise your wife when you were dating had you given her flowers and passionately kissed her, but what about today? She might think that you've come home drunk. You see, the commitment begins to wane in marriage. It becomes routine. It begins to wane, and then when the commitment begins to wane, we shift our focus elsewhere. Oftentimes, and I know that some of you will not like this, some of you will not agree with it, but I, I really believe it. What happens oftentimes in the marriage relationship is that we stop or we diminish our commitment as husband and wife and our focus begins to be on our children. And I think that's exactly what happened here. Rebecca was most concerned, it seems to me, that her favorite son, Jacob, receives the birthright, and that became her focus. So her focus now is more on the child than it is on the husband. Oftentimes there is the temptation that the marriage becomes routine, it becomes mundane, and we begin to focus all of our attention on the parent-child relationship rather than on the husband-wife relationship. We shift it to the children. We shift our focus to our career. We want to make sure that we are successful, so we focus there. For some of you, your focus is not on your spouse. It is not on your marriage. Instead, it is on your leisure time. And the truth is, some of you men know more about your hunting dogs than you do your wife. We neglect the relationship and that leads us to a crossroads. When that happens, we come to a crossroads. Dr. Harnick says every couple goes through a critical period in their marriage, sometimes between the second and the fifth year. Sometimes between the second and the fifth year of marriage, you come to a crossroads. Now this can be a threat to the marriage or it can be an opportunity to grow the relationship. You can grow the relationship if you are willing to move from the idealism of marriage to the reality of marriage. How? 
lower your expectations. You see, the idealism when we get married is that I'm marrying this guy and he is perfect. Or I'm marrying this girl and she is perfect. The reality is he is not perfect. The reality is she is not perfect. But then neither are you. It's when you come to that place that you can begin to accept your mate. When you come to the place that you're willing to say, he is not perfect, she is not perfect, but neither am I, then you can begin to accept the one to whom you're married. I went for a number of years trying to fix Linda. I thought if I tweaked her over here a little bit or I tweaked her over there a little bit, I could make something out of her, that I could get her, get her fixed. Now, Linda is, uh, she fits me perfectly, but she is, she is not what most people would think they wanted, most guys would think they wanted as a wife. She doesn't cook. Her mother didn't cook. Her grandmother didn't cook. Her daughter doesn't cook much. <laughs> so I tried to fix her for a long time. And then finally I came to the place to say, you know, I'm going to accept her. And I do. She doesn't cook. I don't care. We go to Lizard's Thicket. You know, it doesn't matter to me. We can go to McDonald's. I don't care. What Linda does is to bring life to the relationship. I said, I make a living, she makes a life. I make a living, her job is to make it worthwhile. Now, every once in a while, she'll get in a bad mood, and I'll tell her, I say, you know, you're not doing a good job. That's your job. <laughs> but, but the point, see, and, and that works for me, but it may not, it wouldn't, may, may not work for you. That's fine. The thing that is important is that you come to the place where you accept each other. That you begin to value each other. So you, you have to go from idealism to reality. The idealism of the honeymoon to the reality of building a relationship. You go from excitement to maturity. And there's a lot of excitement. There should be, heaven knows. There should be excitement in the early days of, of marriage. But that has to come to maturity. Well, how do you do that? How do you come to the point that you develop a mature relationship as husband and wife? Well, I think, first of all, you have to be willing to allow your mate to have space for themselves. When you get married, you know, you're flattered and you enjoy the fact that we spend all of our time together. You know, I like it that he spends so much time with me. I like it that she wants to be with me and listen to me. But let me tell you something, after a few years, you get tired of that. You have to allow the other person to have space to go out and do some things that they want to do without you. Because after you've been married for a while, that's not an enjoyable thing, yet begins to smother you. Whenever they're always around you, that begins to smother you. You do, however, need to stay in touch because you are in the process of changing as an individual in the marriage relationship. You are in the process of changing so it's important that you keep up with each other. 
one woman was talking with her counselor and she was considering divorce and she said, we changed and forgot to tell each other. After the wedding, there are challenges to work through. So you get married. Now then there are the challenges that you're going to work through. And then it's my desire for you that you have a love relationship. You know, what I really want for you, and I, I enjoy doing this so much, when we have those people who've been married 50 years, 55 married a year, 60 years, and, and we're able to, uh, to point them out, to platform them, to let you see them. My desire for you is that you get married, and, and when you've been married 50 years, somebody here recognizes you. They have you to stand up and recognize that you have been married. Now, that's a possibility, but it's not guaranteed. It is a possibility for you to have that kind of marriage. But you see, there are some marriages that have a right beginning and a wrong ending. And I'd, I'd say that with Isaac and Rebecca. They had a right beginning. You saw that in the passage of Scripture we looked at. So they had a right beginning, but they had problems that they had to work through. Or there are some marriages that have a wrong beginning and a right ending. And I think that would be Jacob and, uh, and Leah. Their, their marriage had a wrong beginning, but it ended right. You remember the way that they got married. Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. And Laban, her father, when he thought that he was marrying Rachel, put Leah in. When he woke up the next morning, there was Leah. So it, it didn't start off right. He, 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 it was the wrong marriage. He married the wrong woman. There was wrong behavior. You read the story about them, and there was constant conflict between Rachel and Leah and, and, uh, uh, and Jacob. But you know what happened? You read the story, and I think this is a wonderful thing, because Jacob was not excited about Leah. He was not excited about marrying her. But they grew into a love relationship. And if you read the story, you will discover that it is Leah who is buried in the family sepulcher. You will discover that the, uh, the messianic line continued through Jacob and Leah. So I, I say this to you because I hope that it's helpful. Whether your marriage began right or not, your marriage can be exemplary. God can make something wonderful out of your marriage. You say, well, you know, it just, didn't, it just didn't begin right. That's okay. Neither did Jacob and Leah. Or maybe it began right and there's been some difficulty along the way. God can still make something out of it. And let me give you three principles to help. First of all is commitment. I look at Jacob and Leah. They simply stayed together. They were committed. They, you know, that's, that's not romantic, is it? You just stay with it. You just stay with it. Woman had come to her pastor and said uh, she was thinking about leaving her husband, and she and the pastor said, "Joan, when you married him, you took him for better or for worse." She said, "I know, pastor, but he's worse than I took him for." <laughs> A lot of it is just hanging in there. It's just it's it's just I listen to people a lot of times, and they tell me about their marital problems, and I think. Well, my heavens, I've been through that. But they're ready to throw in the towel. A lot of it is commitment. Are you committed to making the marriage work? Secondly is forgiveness. So you must be committed. Secondly, forgiveness. Now, when I look at Jacob and Leah, he forgave her 
for the deception that brought their marriage together. And she forgave him for the bad things he said when he discovered they were married. In any marriage, there has to be forgiveness. You have to be willing to forgive each other. And the third principle is love because from commitment and forgiveness can grow love. Let me, let me give you a proposal today. You who are married, I am asking you today to recommit to your marriage. You recommit. Benjamin Franklin said, keep your eyes open before marriage and half shut afterwards. Sid Cherie said, to keep your husband happy, you need to treat him like a dog. Give him three meals a day, lots of affection, and a loose leash. I'm asking you today, if you're married, and somebody say, oh, I've been married too long. You know, I'm just going to try to see it out. That's not the way to go. Renew your commitment to your spouse. Renew your commitment to communicate with your spouse. I think one of the biggest problems we have in the marriage relationships is that we don't communicate. Sometimes, and I enjoy watching people. I go to a restaurant, and I'll be sitting there, and there'll be people around there, and some are talking, some are not. You know, you try to figure out which one's married and which one's not. I mean, there's a couple over here, they just talk, and there's somebody over here, they just, you're not sure that they're even alive, but they're just sitting over there together. All right, now, which one's married? That's a question. Which one did you think is married? The one's not talking. Because, I mean, they don't have anything else to say. I mean, I've said it all already. I don't have anything else to say. Renew your commitment to communicate with each other. Find a time to communicate. Renew your commitment to unconditionally love each other. Value the person to whom you're married. Don't, don't, don't regret or wish that you had married someone else. Value the one you married and verbalize it. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you have said to your wife, I love you? I love you. Because we like to hear that. All of us do. So I conclude. If you're looking for a mate, choose a mate. Ask God to lead you. Give it serious thought and prayer. After you're married, there are going to be some challenging days that will overcome, be overcome by commitment. And commit yourself to loving the person God has brought to you. Elton Trueblood said, Marriage is a system by means of which persons who are sinful and contentious are so caught up by a dream bigger than themselves that they work throughout the years in spite of repeated disappointments to make the dream come true. My friend, it is my prayer for you in the marriage relationship that it is a dream that comes true for you. And when you come to the end of your life, that you love each other more than you did when you married. God can make that happen. Our gracious Father, we come to you and thank you for the people you brought into our lives. Help us to value them, to love them, and to help grow and mature them. 
Father, I especially pray today for the marriages in our church and in our country that you would strengthen the family because, Lord, we know that it is the foundation on which this nation is built. It is the unit that you have chosen. And I pray that you'll bless this time of invitation in Christ's name. Amen.